Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of the My Food Culture Show. My name is Kaylee Gray. I am a non-diet dietitian and founder of My Food Culture, and this show is about three things. It's about helping you to simplify life and break free from burnout. It's all about helping you feel worthy and enough in a world that doesn't always vicariously encourage us to do so. And it's all about being healthy without being on a diet. So my philosophy is that life's literally too short to worry about the size of your thighs or the calories in a latte. Today's topic is how to have epic energy without being on a diet. So it really gets to the heart of a major question that I receive from coaching clients time and time again over my last 10 years of practice, which is essentially, you know, Kaylee, I get why diets don't work. I don't want to be obsessing about food anymore, but what about my health? How do I feel well? How do I feel energized without being on the diet yo-yo cycle? So this podcast will cover my top 10 tips for feeling well and having amazing energy without needing to diet. Now I'm going to make a couple of basic assumptions here. The first is that if you're looking at this side of things, I'm going to presume that you already have a fairly good relationship with food already. So when I am working with coaching clients, unless there's something super major happening with their health or their digestive system and a food allergy, most of the work, the groundwork that I start with is having a good relationship with food because I think that that is absolutely fundamental for everything else to happen. There are always reasons for why we do what we do with food despite knowing what we know. And I've always felt that it is somewhat ineffective for me as a practitioner to come in and tell people what to do without addressing the core reasons behind what drives their behaviors around food and their health. It is a slower way of doing things, but my goodness, it really gets to the heart of things so that when you do make these other changes to your health, they actually stick and have some longevity. So that is assumption number one. You've got a good relationship with food. There's not disordered eating happening You've got a nice, fresh, clean slate and are receptive and ready to make some changes through the lens of wanting to feel good. Which leads into my second assumption, number two, (laughs) which is that health behavior and health changes, in my view at least, need to be motivated from the right place. So, in the past, when I really struggled with food and body image and the host of things that happen with all of that, I used to come through a lens of being good with food. So I'd eat lots of veggies because I thought it would help me lose weight and it would help me to be good. The lens through which I make decisions around food and my health these days is what is going to help me to feel good? What's going to make me feel energized? How can I be of service to this beautiful vessel and body that I'm in so that I can squeeze the most out of this one precious life that I've been given. Can you feel the difference? The principle is still essentially the same, i.e. all of us benefit from eating more vegetables. (laughs) But the intention behind it is coming from a place of self-compassion, self-love and self-care. So those are the two assumptions. The other thing I want to define 
is what is actually epic energy. I think that there's a few misleading kind of ways that energy is marketed in the health industry at the moment. So if you were to scroll through Instagram for an hour, you'd think that if you simply drank green smoothies, ormed in a yoga pose and, you know, eat organic food, then you're just going to have unlimitless, bountiful energy for the rest of your days. Now, of course, yoga, meditation and green smoothies are helpful for energy and good health. But the reality is that our beautiful bodies still have a biorhythm to them. We're not designed to have outstanding Energizer Bunny energy levels all the time. So the natural cycle for most of us is that we gently wake up in the morning, we start our day with really good energy, and that energy slowly tapers off as the day drags on. So eight hours minimum of a 24-hour cycle need to be spent in sleep. You are designed to feel tired when the sun goes down in preparation for that essential activity of sleep, which the body non-negotiably needs. So the question is, how do we attenuate perhaps some of that energy loss? And how do we keep that energy fairly stable? So if we were to graph what I consider to be good energy within a natural biorhythm cycle, you'd have quite a steep rise at the start of the day with good energy, and it would slowly taper off to a thin sort of level towards the end of the day just before you go to bed. The other more common picture of energy, if we were to graph this, would look something like triangles, blades of grass going up and down, up and down, up and down. So almost every single person that I work with in my practice tells me that they want more energy. This is a universal thing which most of us seem to be struggling with. And many of us are waking up in the morning feeling really tired. So the energy on that graph is really low. We drag ourselves out of bed. We have a couple of coffees to sort of jolt ourselves into the start of the day. And, you know, we rely on caffeine or food or, or, you know, certain fast foods throughout the day. And for most of us, instead of having that beautiful taper that I was describing earlier, Our energy is bouncing from high to low to high to low, from up to crash until the end of the day where for many of us, because we're over-caffeinated, over-stressed, over-stimulated, overwhelmed, we've got this almost like false anxious energy. Anxious energy is quite different to the wellspring of energy that comes when you've got the foundations in place. Epic energy, how I conceptualize it, is a little bit like achieving calm. When you're in a calm state, you're smooth. Things are in flow. It's not exciting, but you're not low either. You're just nice and in between. To me, that's how truly good energy feels as well. You're not manic and excited and anxious, and you're not crashing. You've got the energy that you need to get what you need to get done done, And then you wind down at the end of the day. So here's a couple of little other distinctions that I thought might be helpful to get your brain wrapped around this. 
So here's a few things that describe what epic energy is. Epic energy is in sync with your natural biorhythms. Remembering we're designed to wake up alert and energized in the morning and that will taper throughout the day as that energy wears off, adenosine in the brain builds up which creates sleep pressure and we go to bed feeling tired and ready to sleep. Epic energy is also relatively stable. So we don't get those highs, those peaks and troughs, and we don't get those crashes. Epic energy gives you the emotional, physical, and psychological resilience to do the things that you really need to do throughout the day. And it's a soft, warm feeling like calm. On the other hand, here's what epic energy is not. It's not about being an energizer bunny so you can run around all day being overproductive, overscheduled and overwhelmed. (laughs) It doesn't mean that you can't have bad days or low moods. Even if you have excellent health and energy, you are human and you will have some days where you don't feel quite as good as others and that's okay. And again, epic energy doesn't leave you feeling manic. It's that soft, warm, everything's okay, I've got what I need to get things done kind of feeling. So with that background in mind, let's have a chat about 10 ways and 10 steps that we can have epic energy without needing to be on a diet. Now, I actually have a model that I've built which relates to this. Again, you can jump onto my website and have a look. So there's, if you just type in how to have epic energy into my website, which is mfcmyfoodculture.com, you'll see this lovely pillared model. You can also check it out in the links in my bio over at Instagram, if that's helpful, which is at mfcmyfoodculture. The pillar has four different levels. The first is related to your physical health. The second is related to your mental and emotional health. The third is related to your social health. And the fourth is related to your higher order needs. So let's go through each block on the pillar and work our way through the 10 steps. Step one is sleep. (laughs) Now, I am a dietitian and perhaps not always the biggest advocate for nutrition because my friends, I so sincerely believe that it doesn't matter how nutritious your diet is. If you are not meeting your sleep requirements, your body will not respond with the energy that you desire. Sleep is one of those systems of the body that we simply cannot cheat. Yet in Western culture, we don't have full respect and reverence for how important sleep is and how much it really does for us. I myself was pretty oblivious towards sleep until I got really sick a few years ago. Now, I described my personal story way back in episode one and two, if you're interested to go back and have a listen. But just a quick recap, I um, essentially was working way too much and I developed a couple of viruses, which 
ended up putting me basically on my back in bed for almost two months. So I managed to work a little bit from my laptop during that time, but I was very, very, very unwell. And I became really obsessed around that time of what can I do to maintain great energy and still be in a really high performing kind of work situation. And so one of the first things I've really looked at was my sleep and reassessing my sleep habits. The statistics within Australia show us that up to 47% of Australians are not meeting their sleep requirements. And guess what, guys? The number one (laughs) reason for not getting enough sleep is quoted as being within many sleep studies, trying to get more done or if you want to relate that to anxiety and overwhelm as well. So essentially people are feeling like there's not enough hours in the day to get enough sleep. To me, if you're interested in being productive, sleep is one of the first things you should be prioritizing. Anything less than six hours a night is going to have significant impacts on your mood and your performance the next day. Sleep studies show that if you're getting six hours of sleep or less a night, your performance the next day is equivalent to having about two standard drinks within your system. And there's a sliding scale with that. So the more sleep deprived you are, the more essentially over the limit is your work performance the next day. We know that sleep is really strongly correlated with depression and depressive moods, as well as emotional reactivity. Prime example of this, guys, a few months ago, I had a really early event for work and I think I'd only managed to get about four and a half, five hours sleep the night before. And I'm driving to this event on a highway and a road that I travel very often And I'm sitting at the wheel, gritting my teeth, going, oh my God, there are so many jerks on the road this morning. What is with everyone? They're cutting me off. They're being inconsiderate. And then it kind of, it wasn't until I was about five minutes from reaching my destination that I realized, oh, it's not the drivers. It's my mood, my sleep deprived mood, which is making me filter this drive that I do all the time very differently. So it can make you more emotionally reactive. It's certainly related to depressive states. Yes, also anxiety, but more so depression for some reason. And we know that sleep affects your memory. It affects your ability to be creative. It affects your ability to process information. And the effects of that are both felt really quickly if you're not getting enough sleep, but the benefits are felt really quickly when you get enough shut eye as well. So the first thing, if you want more energy, guys, please prioritize your sleep. I will link to a bunch of articles I've written about how to get better sleep in the blog on my website called How to Have Epic Energy. If you're interested in getting some real how-to tips on improving your shut-eye. Pillar two is eat more veggies. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I so wish that there was a sexy way to market fruit and vegetables. It's a really hard sell and I always have a good joke with my audiences about this 
because, you know, superfoods are sexy, antioxidants are sexy, keto diets are sexy, veggies, uh uh-uh, not so sexy. And yet this is a real shame because the vegetables and fruits, basically all of our plant foods contain the micronutrients that are absolutely vital for driving metabolic processes which support good energy in the body. So um, 1 in 10, well, it's less than 1 in 10 actually, Australians actually get enough veggies at the moment. So it stands to reason that one of the best things that most of us can be doing if we want better energy to be feeling good, you must, must, must be eating more veggies, guys. Now, I love this tip because it's not a dieting tip. Diets about are about restriction. They're about calorie counting. They're about deprivation and beating yourself up. What I'm advocating for here is a building in approach. So I'm not saying that you need to measure anything out. I'm not saying that you need to get obsessive about it. We're boosting up. We're adding on to what you're already eating with this tip. Quick note on quantities. The current Australian guidelines are that we need two serves of fruit and five serves of veggies for adults. And quite often there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a misunderstanding around what we mean as a serve. I have consulted with literally thousands of people around their vegetable intake and I often ask, you know, how, you know, how, how many veggies do you eat a day kind of thing and they tell me, oh, I get my five. And when we break it down, what they're telling me is that they eat five different types of veggies a day, which is fantastic. We want variety in our our dietary patterns as well. However, what the public message has failed to hit home with is that we need five serves a day, which is referring to quantities. So a serve of veggies is a cup of raw veggie. So that's like your salads, for example, lettuce and rocket leaves, or it's half a cup of cooked veggies or one medium cooked potato. And if you look at that on your plate, that's quite a lot of vegetables that we need to eat in a day. And it's, it's little wonder, A, that most of us aren't reaching that. And B, that many of us don't have fantastic energy because our veggies are absolutely vital for those energy processes. So eat more veggies is my tip number two. Tip number three is to move your beautiful body. And again, this doesn't have to be a gym junkie, beat yourself up, burn off calories, you know, sort of message here. That's not what I'm saying at all. And in fact, the movement guidelines are pretty modest. So as little as two 15-minute walks a day can actually meet your baseline movement requirements underneath the Australian Physical Activity Guidelines. Of course, chatting to an exercise physiologist is going to give you the very best advice, but it's amazing how much of a difference it makes when you find little ways to build in movement into your day. I often take an active walking lunch break or when I'm working from home, I'll do a few laps in the pool. There's something extra special, in my opinion, about getting outdoors, getting some fresh air, some sunshine on your face. Feel the difference in your energy before and after you do a little walk like that. 
one of my go-to tactics as well if you're feeling that 3 p.m. slump, A, have a little nap (laughs) if you can, Um, but B, if you're obviously not able to, go for a 10-minute walking break and I swear, hand over heart, promise you that you will feel incredibly more energized after that little break. The other thing around movement is that it can be a really powerful way to complete the stress cycle. There's a fantastic book called Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski, and they talk about the importance of physically metabolizing stress. So, you know, stress is not just this psychological phenomenon. It causes a cascade of physiological mechanisms in the body as well. And the magic number is 20 minutes. 20 minutes of sweating, huff and puff energy can really help to clear out those chemicals which a stressful day can cause as well. Give it a try next time you've had a stressful day and I swear you'll feel the difference. Tip number four is digest well. Gut health has had so much attention on social media and the general media over the last five to six years, and rightly so. I mean, the research coming out is is nothing short of astounding. However, I don't believe that gut health is the panacea to all of our health problems that it's sometimes made out to be, right? To me, gut health is one of those things where if you don't have it, it can really wreak havoc with your life. So, for example, I've worked with plenty of people over the years who can't travel with work or for leisure because of tummy troubles, who have to plan their routes on the way to work to make sure that they have rest stops and bathroom breaks along the way. I mean, having digestive problems is really deeply impactful. And it always breaks my heart when quite often the people that I see in my consulting practice for some help with digestive support, they've often been really struggling and doing it on their own for many, many years before they see a dietitian with expertise in this area. And it often doesn't need to be that way. There is so much research in this space to help you get to the bottom of what's not right with your digestion. If you have bloating, if you have constipation, if you have diarrhea and lots of gas or pain, These are not things that your tummy is meant to do. (laughs) It's information for you to act on and do something with. So my first advice to anybody with suspected digestive issues is to have a chat to your GP simply because there's a bunch of different conditions which can mask themselves as being IBS-like but are actually a lot more serious. So rule out anything really potentially medically serious first and then get a referral or ask to see a dietitian who can help you get to the bottom of of food intolerances. If that's not you and you've already got good digestion then there's a couple of other tips that can give your gut health a little bit of a boost. The first is to incorporate some fermented foods into your daily diet And I am often asked how much that you should be eating. There's no prescriptive amount for fermented foods, unfortunately, because so many fermented foods, they don't have a regulated probiotic amount to them. For example, with sauerkraut, which is made with cabbage leaves, 
it totally depends on the cabbage, where it was grown, the nature of the soil that it was in, the type of water that it's been fermented within, that all of those things are going to influence the types, the strains, the quantities of probiotic bacteria within that fermented food product. So there's no prescriptive amount, but what I would say is to make fermented foods just part of your everyday dietary routine. So for example, I will often put sauerkraut on my avocado and toast of a morning I will often make smoothies or you can make smoothies with kefir instead of milk. You could swap out your yogurts for some kefir as well. Kefir is like a super duper form of yogurt. It's got beneficial strains of both probiotic bacteria and beneficial yeasts. People are often scared by that. They think of yeast and go, ooh, yucky, that's not good for me. And, And certainly some yeasts are not great for us. But the types of yeast strains within kefir are, are very, very gut health supporting. You could add kimchi to the side of your stir fries, swap out your normal bread for a beautiful sourdough loaf, and just add it in bit by bit so that it's part of your routine way of eating rather than something that you are trying to force in. The other advice I'd give with probiotic foods is to start slowly with them. If you go too hard, too fast, they can upset your belly a little too. On to the next pillar, five, which is heal. It never ceases to amaze me how many people's blood tests I've seen upon investigation of low energy, which turn up, you know, things like glandular fever, Epstein-Barr virus, iron deficiency anemia, B12 pernicious anemia. If you have fatigue, not just low energy, but fatigue, to me that warrants a visit to your doctor. And until you've experienced a viral form of fatigue or a nutritional deficiency form of fatigue, you won't really know what I'm talking about. Everyday low energy is a little bit different. We know the difference between being a little bit run down, perhaps knowing that you're not getting enough sleep, intuitively sensing that perhaps your body needs some more movement or some more fresh food and veggies. But fatigue is this sense of tiredness that goes into your bones. It flattens your mood. It's like a cloud (laughs) that covers your brain, your thinking, your thoughts often feel foggy. When I was really, really unwell a few years back, I remember one day needing to drive somewhere to get some supplies that we were short on and just being too, like I started the car and then burst into tears and turned it off again because I just realized that I was so fatigued that I wasn't even safely able to drive. So fatigue is low energy without other known cause. You can't link it to a bad night's sleep or a stressful day at work. When you're experiencing fatigue like that, your GP or a medical professional is your best friend. This is the time when we ask for blood work up. This is the time when we claim some sick leave and crawl into bed and let our body rest and do some healing work. So If you're wanting to improve your energy, 
make sure that there's nothing medical that might be holding you back, particularly if you do have that persistent form of fatigue that I'm describing here. Pillar six is calm. (laughs) I talk a lot about self-care in my corporate well-being programs and workshops and I always have a bit of a laugh with people because back in the day when people raised self-care I would do a little bit of like the back of the eye roll thing as well. It's like who's got time for this woo-woo stuff? Yet to me How I see things now is that self-care is a bit like brushing your teeth. It is essential care for your nervous system. If you think about the evolution of the human race, we've only lived in modernity for a blink of the eye. For tens of thousands of years before this century, we lived in a very unplugged lower technology society which meant that when there was a threat there was a serious threat to our well-being there were things like famine war lions and tigers and bears and so our adrenal system our fight and flight response was really really turned on when it needed to be but then it was turned off when threats had passed as well today We don't have lions and tigers and bears. We don't have famine and war, at least through most of the Western world. But we do have low-grade stresses and threats that our brains have not yet adapted to perceive as anything other than a potential physical threat to our health. So when you get a confronting email, when you have an overwhelming workload, when you've got sick kids at home, but you're trying to juggle a million other things as well, your body is processing those stressors like it would do any other physical threat, which means that there is a measurable physiological response within the body. Stress is not biologically inert, my friends. You don't just think a stressful thought that disappears into the ether. When you think stressful thoughts, it stimulates regions of the brain and the hypothalamus and then the adrenal system to produce chemicals which are circulated throughout the body and which are inflammatory. This isn't to terrify you. (laughs) I don't want being stressed to be another thing that you need to feel stressful about. But we know that those stressful chemicals are related to and associated with just about every disease state that you can think of. And so balancing that with activities which restore calm is not only fantastic for your health, your beautiful body, your energy levels, you're also going to feel so much better for it as well. Calm means different things for different people and I am endlessly fascinated by the different spectrum that people operate in. So for me myself, one of my biggest, uh, I guess, one of the biggest things I can do to help myself stay calm is to have a spacious day at least once in a week in my calendar that is completely unscheduled and to have buffer space in my work days as well because that feeling of being overscheduled for me, I don't process that 
in a calm way (laughs) or as calmly as I could. I'm working on it. For other people, however, I work with high-performing executives who love being under the pump, who thrive in higher pressure kind of work schedules. And so for them, their calm or their rejuvenation can look quite different to what it is for me. I don't think there's right or wrong, and I think it's fascinating and wonderful that we're all different. What I'm encouraging you today is to perhaps tune in and think for you, what does calm look like for you yourself? Is it a yoga session? Is it a monthly massage? Is it a daily meditation practice? It can be so many different things, but I encourage you to think about and honor what's right for you and then to prioritize it in your schedule the same way that you would with brushing your teeth. Do you like brushing your teeth? Personally, I think I hate it. (laughs) Every night I brush my teeth as quickly as I can after dinner so that it's just done and it's out of the way and I can relax. (laughs) But I don't question the need to brush my teeth. And to me, calm and restorative practices are just like brushing your teeth. They may not be convenient, but you wouldn't necessarily skip out on them because it's so very important for your nervous system and your energy and your well-being. The next pillar in this model is connection and play. So I'm going to actually conjoin those two. We are social creatures. We've evolved in tribes and part of what has allowed the human species to flourish and to thrive and to get to where we are today is our ability to cooperate with others and collaborate. And so there's this very deep need for connection. There's different forms of connection as well. And I have a pro forma that I use with new coaching clients, which goes through your different aspects of your life and asks people to rate how filled up on a scale of 10 they feel and in the connection quadrant there's questions around key relationships with family friends significant other and community and when I did that particular exercise 18 months ago I scored really low on the community part and I hadn't even really given much thought to that being something that was missing in my life I was very very busy with my job I try very hard to be of major service to the people that I work with every day. And so I hadn't really given thought to being of service to the community. But I thought I'd give it a go, given that it was clearly missing on that performer and chose a local charity to work with. And heads down, guys, that was one of the best things I did last year. I feel so much more connected to something bigger than myself. I love being involved in a cause that I care about. I've met interesting people. I feel like I've got this extended family that I'm part of now. And so, yeah, I realized that that connection to a broader community was missing and actually really important, but I didn't realize that until I actually had it, if that makes some kind of sense. So don't undervalue the importance of connection. And closely related to that is play. (laughs) I feel like me, it is so easy to get so serious about everything all the time. I don't know about you. I'm so blessed. I 
have a partner who brings a major play factor. He stops me from getting too serious. And, you know, without him, I think (laughs) that quadrant would be a lot more lower than it actually is. I'm so grateful for him as a regular reminder of the importance of having fun, living life, because it's so precious and fleeting. And that feeling you get when you've let your hair down a bit, got out of the house, done something spontaneous and different, it really does revive you. And it's part of that holistic picture of how we have more energy in our lives. Beautiful people. The last pillar is fulfillment. I personally believe that you can have the best physical health in the entire world, but if you don't have a sense of your belonging in this world, I think it's going to be hard to feel energized, excited, rejuvenated. Fulfillment and purpose doesn't need to be grand. You don't need to have this sense of purpose and fulfillment towards a goal of becoming a millionaire, solving world hunger, or doing anything verbose and big and out there. Fulfillment can be way more subtle than that. It can be having great relationships with your family. You know, I think about my beautiful mum and I've had lots of conversations with her. We've got very similar values but different interests And she fascinates me because her fulfillment or her dream was always to be a mum. I personally don't relate to that dream myself. I'm much more career-driven and perhaps that's a, a sign of my generation as well. But even today with me and my sisters being grown up, my mum, you know, she gets so much joy and fulfillment from the relationships that she's built and maintained with my family and we're really close So there's no right, wrong, big, small, you know, judgment in any of this. I know I've been through times in my life where I haven't been in touch with that sense of of what fulfills me, what brings me joy, what I feel like I can serve, do here and be of service while I've, I've got this life on planet Earth. And when that's missing, my energy is different. When it's there, my energy is so much better. It helps you have that little spring in your step, have that little spark of joy when you're going off to start your day. It's that comfort. It's also a bit of armor against the difficulties that life can sometimes offer us. So just to quickly recap, beautiful people, Here are the 10 pillars that I think we all need in place to have epic energy and thankfully none of them involve dieting. Here they are. Sleep, eat, move, digest, heal, calm, restore, connect, play and fulfill. I hope that this has been helpful. I wish you epic energy because with epic energy it's this ripple effect that flows out into everything else in your life with epic energy everything else is so much easier as always thank you so much for listening i wish you a wonderful week until next week's episode 
And until then, remember this, less is more, you are enough, and life's too short to worry about the size of your thighs or the calories in a latte. If you have any questions, I'm here and always happy to help. My email is support at mfcmyfoodculture.com or you can chat to us on social, which is at mfcmyfoodculture. Thank you, beautiful humans. Big love and hugs to you all.